Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Hope you're well. Hope you've had a good week. I've had a busy one, to be truthful with you. And I would like to start this show by saying a massive thank you to everybody that's taken time out to send me a message. And that was either on Instagram or LinkedIn or by email about last week's episode with Vicky Sarge. Um, I'm so pleased everyone enjoyed it. And trust me, Vicky feels the same as well, I'm sure. Anyway, in today's show, we're going to be talking to a guy called Daniel from a brand called The Herd Strong. And Daniel is a leather tanner and leather tailor. He's based on a beautiful Canadian farm and he operates his entire life and his tannery completely off grid, so to speak. It's a really fascinating one, this, and it kind of takes you back to the way that things were done back some time ago. And Daniel talks to us about the processes involved in working with the leather and preparing it and obviously selling it onwards. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's a real deep dive into his business and and also his love for nature and the animals around him, but more importantly, about kind of creating a legacy for his craft. So enjoy the show and I'll speak to you on the other side. Hey, Daniel, how are you? Are you well? <laughs> I'm doing well today. Yeah, bright and good early man. here in Ontario and things are good. Sunny day. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so I'm just looking at the clock here. I am 10 past two. So what time is it in your world? It would be 10 past nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, okay. And what you been up to today? What's what's your morning consist of? Well, I wake up pretty early there, around quarter to six. I get mm-hmm. the wash water ready, and I go ahead and milk the sheep. We got five okay. milking ewes, and that's how I start my day. It was full, thick, wow. misty fog, and and uh, the sun peaked out as we were milking, and then clean all that up, go home, take care of the kids, have some breakfast, yeah. and meet with you. Yeah, excellent, mm-hmm. good stuff. Can't, so. No, absolutely. You can't complain. I mean, I have to say we had a conversation last week and I came off thinking, am I doing something really wrong with the way that I'm kind of on this treadmill? Do you know what I mean? Just kind of doing the same. And I know there is a certain level of repetitiveness in everybody's life. Um, But, you know, the way that you describe everything over there and this wonderful kind of holistic lifestyle and and kind of being with nature and everything else. I'm so envious to be perfectly truthful with you, but I know there's a lot of hard work work and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today so obviously your brand is called the herd's throne um Mm -hmm. do you want to tell us a little bit about the business daniel and and i'm really interested in the name where did the name come from the name came from uh basically my my best friend and i wondering it out one night and wanting Mm -hmm. to have a, a name that had some substance and some meaning something that could sort of carry the work forward into the world 
Yeah. And that's what we came to. He, my friend is a, a fan of etymology. So that's kind of the story of words, not just the dictionary definition. And he came up with the, with, with it basically. And mm. we wanted something that conveyed being a leather business, wanted yeah. to get back to the animal itself, which yeah. is really the whole story of leather uh, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And at the same time, wanted to convey some of the majesty and the old spirit of tanning and mm -hmm. the honoring of the skin that is the part of the animal that basically lives with us the longest after their yeah. death. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fascinating. And, yeah. and and tell us a little bit then about how your business kind of what what are you doing today? Let's let's before we go back and we can talk a little bit how you started to get into it because it's a fascinating story. What does your day kind of consist of? I know obviously you said about um, getting up and doing the duties and looking after the kids and everything else, but your business is a leather tanning business, right? And and it's it's basically kind of traditional it's a traditional way of working with the leather can you tell us a little bit more about that daniel and the process and, and and kind of how it all works sure sure absolutely so it's very seasonally based mm -hmm. so yes it's a leather tanning business that's the fundamental part of it but it's also the leather sewing which yep. takes place more in the winter and making finished items and clothing and all sorts of leather goods mm -hmm. uh, so this time of year because it's warm and sunny and and uh hot really it's the it's a great time for certain types of tanning so anything yeah. that needs dry weather for uh for example washing and drying sheepskins that's what i'm in the middle of right now mm -hmm. and tanning them because i do most of the work if not entirely outside it just undercover and i'm really relying on the weather to determine what i do yeah. So okay. all of the skins would have been saved from last fall from either the slaughter or the hunt if it's deer skins mm -hmm. and salted and preserved over the winter. And now is the time for getting them all tanned so that I can do all my sewing in the winter. Wow. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. that's really interesting. And and we could talk a little bit more about the kind of hunt and and how you acquire the skins because I, again, I think that's really really important sure. and and more yeah. about the sustainability side of things as well, because your business is very, very sustainable um, <laughs> due to the nature of, of just the way that you live your life and the understanding of nature. But how did you get into that, Daniel? How did you get into this kind of, I don't know, this yearning for the outdoors or kind of working with leather in the way that you do? I mean, what was it? Were you, were you always into that as a kid or not? No, no. Uh, the one thing I could say, I mean, mostly it was by accident and by just circumstance and I mean you could wonder what kind of circumstance gets you into tanning hides and it's a good <laughs> yeah. question to wonder about it's not common yeah but um I think that the through line would really be a love of animals okay that is something that's motivated me since I was a kid even though I was urban born and raised and you know it took the form of family dog and things like mm -hmm. that and then just every time we'd be driving somewhere or passing through a forested area just glued to the window looking for deer or whatever it was and yeah and then at a certain point it was camping and not really being satisfied with all the plastic necessities of modern camping and uh, ended up going to a sort of a wilderness living school okay and no idea about hide tanning or even the the possibility of making leather from animal skin and mm -hmm. 
that was part of the curriculum, I guess you could say. Wow. And is that, yeah. is that where you learn the techniques of what you do today? Is that, is, is that, was that's that part of it? That's where I started to. Yeah. That's where I yeah. started to. I mean, you could say that there's as many ways to mess up tanning a hide as there are <laughs> to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned a lot of what you shouldn't do in the early days for sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 A lot of slimy hides, a lot of stiff stuff at the end. You know, I mean, rawhide is. <laughs> wow quite a different thing than leather when you finally get something dry and you've done yeah. all this work to try and get it to be soft and it's just mm. not complying so there is a lot of learning and yeah there's a lot of trial and error given how much has been forgotten or lost or mm. gone by the and, wayside yeah. and with regards to history then i mean uh, do you have you done a lot of research in traditional techniques and ways of managing the leather is that something that you that also interests you and you put that in your own work today Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of, uh, yeah, learning the kind of deeper stories or forgotten stories of really anything, but leather in Mm -hmm. particular. You know, it's it's largely neglected these days, but leather is as fundamental or arguably at least as fundamental to human life as fire, as cooking, because Mm -hmm. that's how we first migrated out of the tropics and out of the arid climates of of Africa into Europe and then everywhere else basically is fundamentally by the wearing of animal skins and furs to clothe yeah. ourselves. Yeah, and yeah. It completely changed our physiology because we're now dependent on these things. Most of us mm. are in the cold mm. climate. And of course it's taken other forms and we've largely, you know, abandoned leather clothing. Um for many reasons um, in favor of fabrics and now plastics and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, also the history of farming is tied to leather, all traction uh, provided by animals. The connection between you and the horse or the oxen is all leather mm-hmm. farming boots. The industrial revolution was based on leather as the belts driving the machinery from the steam engines. So yeah, it's a huge forgotten part of um history and that's all taken place pretty recently with the industrialization of leather tanning and processing and whatnot yeah wow yeah it is actually quite interesting is it how prominent leather is you know i think we do take it a little bit for granted or we have done um but yeah that's fascinating stuff so tell us a little bit daniel about how you actually get the hides how do you what and what what state are they in i mean (laughs) obviously you don't have to be too graphic but it would be interesting to find out how you know what raw leather looks like you know because a lot of people don't have any understanding of how that might come back to you that's right no that's that's definitely right the slaughterhouse has become a place of scorn and neglect and that's Mm -hmm. a big reason why so many uh you know terrible things happen in those places nowadays when it doesn't have to be that case so the skins that i get are fresh animal skins so they're Mm -hmm. bloody there's meat on there still in various cases uh, various states of good or poor skinning jobs. It's very easy to ruin a hide, particularly a thin one like a sheep or a deer mm-hmm. or a goat, mm-hmm. uh, by poor cutting technique, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's taken a long time, and I'm not fully there yet, but to get reliable, good sources of properly skinned skins. Okay. Yeah. So that can be hunters. That's a big yeah. part of it. I get. Then that's a, basically a two-week period here in Ontario where there's okay. a 
and sustainable deer hunt, but yeah. very large. I mean, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of deer across the province. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, basically, it's a matter of convincing hunters to bring you the hide. Mm-hmm. And usually, uh, people start doing a better job skinning once they know someone's going to actually be doing something with the skin. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what would happen to those products if um, if someone like you didn't take them? They would they, would they just be wasted, put into landfill, or I mean, how does it work? From the hunt, it would be left in the bush. Yeah. Which, you know, okay. Arguably, you could say, you know, it's kind of a tragedy of not being employed as leather, but it's also you know that'll be eaten up by somebody out in the bush. Mm-hmm. All slaughterhouses around here, all of that, whether it's cow, sheep, goat skins, pig skins, those are now going to the landfill. And that is a real tragedy. Yeah, waste yeah, because yeah. there's no need for that. But yeah, the price of leather is so low now that it's you can't even afford to, they can't even afford to send them to the tanneries, whether it be in Pakistan, mm-hmm. India, South America, China. And just out of interest, then, Daniel, which which kind of leathers or hides do you personally like to work with? Which do you get the best results from? Which is the easiest, actually, for you to work uh, with? <laughs> well, there, it's, uh, you know, the easiest and the best don't necessarily line up. I mean, the thinner <laughs> they are, in some ways, the easier they are to tan, but you have yeah. to be more careful. You know, one of the primary differences between doing things by hand and industrially by machine is that you have to really work the skin at various times, which puts mm-hmm. a lot of strain into there. So you can easily rip something or if there's yeah. already a hole in there because of a bad skinning job, that could be liable to rip. Okay. But I mean, right now, my favorite skins to work with is, is moose skin. Okay. And okay. Just a beautiful, beautiful leather, very difficult to tan. Mm. I mean, relatively. It's a lot of work, I should say, mm. to tan them. But I think the... I really do enjoy having the diversity of leather. So, you know, you could line something with with sheepskin with the wool on. That's yeah. something you don't get in any other skin. Yeah. Uh, that the wool um, for warmth and the beauty of that and different colors of wool. Hmm. Uh, the, the strength of the deer skin or the thickness of a big, thick cowhide. Also very difficult to tan, a ton of work. Hmm. But to be able to have, you know, leather that's a quarter inch thick and extremely durable and hard wearing is amazing. Basically put the work in to get that. So the diversity is what I would really love. So let me get this right. So you've got the the skins and then obviously you're going to tan them. So what does that process look like, Daniel? What do you use? How do you you tan a leather skin? Sure. Uh, there's many different ways to do it. And you can basically, once you get some experience, you can, to a certain degree, assess the skin and Mm -hmm. decide what might be best for that thinness or size of leather. Like even, even within a certain, like even within deer skins, if it's a really big one, obviously that's going to be some stouter leather. And the first thing is, okay, are you taking the hair off or leaving the hair on? That's the first choice. Mm Mm-hmm. And let's just say it's a deer skin that we're taking the hair off. The first thing would be to to clean the f- the flesh off. So that's basically everything you do as a handmade leather guy is over mm-hmm. a scraping beam. Okay. You probably most people have seen kind of an antique picture of someone leaning over a sloping piece of wood, 
pushing a two-handled knife. That's the tanner's beam. And that's yeah. that's the heart and soul of the tannery, basically. Yeah, yeah. And literally elbow grease. Very um <laughs> very factually correct term for saying yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you soak the skin in lime until the hair comes loose. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of subtleties about how that happens. But once the hair is ready to slip off, you basically you could even do it by hand. You just mm. push it out and it's swelled the hair follicle such that the hair just comes right out. Okay. And then from that point, you're either removing anywhere between one or two or three layers of the skin to get to the exact um, part of the skin that you're going to tan. So definitely the under layer, which is the connective tissue that joins basically the flesh to the skin. Yeah. That has to be removed. Okay. Even if you're leaving the hair on, that has to be removed because that'll block any of the tannin tannins or fats or what have you that you want to penetrate the skin yeah and then whether it's full grain leather i'm sure you've heard that term or it's not very common in in most leathers but removing the grain it makes kind of something similar to suede but Mm -hmm. that would be like brain tanned or buckskin leather that i make a lot of Um, okay yeah which is that that's the oldest type of leather in the world going back to way 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 mists of time sort of thing Mm -hmm. but in canada specifically that's the indigenous genius of tanning is mostly applied to that type of leather and it's smoked and it has a really beautiful smell and yeah that has the grain removed so it's a very breathable very supple very clothing garment um amenable leather yeah yeah and so it's it's kind of these scraping of layers mm. and the subtleties of knowing where layer starts and stops because it's not like it's not exactly like tree bark where it's there's bark and then there's wood there's kind mm. of gradual transition depending on the animal obviously yeah definitely depending on the animal yeah, too yeah 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 so a good animal potentially has got a little bit more elbow grease to uh, to, <laughs> to run, run through um, you know it's either I, more Go on, sorry, what was you going to say? It's either more elbow grease or more care. And, you know, either one has its challenges to yeah. not rip, to not tear, to not mar the grain. Like any little yeah. scratch is yeah. going to yeah. show. And... and what about the tools that you use then, Daniel? Are they something that you've kind of, I don't know, do you inherit them? Do you make them? Yeah. Do you buy them? What, I mean, where'd you get all that kit from? Sure. I wish I would inherit them. I mean, there's a few mostly sewing tools because that's obviously a lot more common that you can get some, somebody you've learned something from an older fellow passes something on to you. And those are cherished obviously, but for the tanning, it's, you make do with what you can find. You make a few things yourself. And Mm -hmm. then now there's actually a few people either still making them a few companies like out of Sheffield, England in particular. Okay. That's interesting. They don't make but they're available out there wow those are kind of the gold standard uh his okay. stuff or their stuff um and there's a guy out of sweden who's now making hand forged tanning tools you oh, know they're yeah. quite specific so you yeah you know the, the more niche. they are quite niche yeah yeah right that's thing. amazing veg that's that's so cool that someone from Sheffield and again, you know, being in the UK here. I mean, Sheffield historically, you know, for many many years was the you know was was all to do with steel. 
you know, um, stainless steel. Yeah. And, and obviously there was, there was great industry in, in that part of the world. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really quite lovely to, to, I must find that name, the, the, the guys that you sent and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put them in the show notes. So at least they get a shout out mm-hmm. and if anyone yeah, wants yeah. to see them, they can find them there, but that's really interesting. So you've done all the hard work, you prepared, prepared the skin, you've got it to the standard that you want. You've looked, you've kind of worked around all the imperfections and everything else. And then it comes down to obviously making products. So you make a variety of different types of products, don't you? What, what kind of things are you making? What, what do you make out of these, out of these skins, Daniel? Oh, yeah. Like you said, a huge range of things, Any, right. anything from coats to vests to wallets, um, kind of, I guess you could say I have sort of two lines, mm-hmm. some stuff I take to market and it's usually the lower price things, so handmade wallets, bags, pouches, yeah. Yeah. Um, key fobs, anything like that, that is not uh, too unapproachable cost wise for people mm-hmm. just walking in off the street or whatnot. Yeah. yeah. And then I would say the heart and soul and the thing I'm trying to really get out there and become more established in is the custom made clothing side of things. So these would be things that, you know, all willing people are buying for not just their lifetime, but something to pass on. It's quite expensive, obviously, and custom made to fit. But yeah, the gold standard in my mind is the leather coat. Okay. Okay. Your skin leather coat. There's just nothing like that. The just all the, ins and outs of sewing and sizing and the details and then wearing this you know i think it's pretty elaborate it it doesn't look elaborate it's a beautiful leather coat and would strike someone as a little bit unusual not in its cut but in the look of the leather basically yeah yeah um but that would be either usually four deer skins to make a nice like that and yeah, lined yeah. with silk and uh, or your cho- whatever the person wants but silk mm-hmm. is a really beautiful lining for that mm-hmm. and um yeah and really you can. and you you work with you work with the customers on that do you obviously there's a lot of communication with you and what they want and obviously That's with right. regards to like specs and patterns and everything else how would someone come to you daniel and say right i love what you're doing i love the material you're working with i want this and i want that and i want it to replicate this jacket or or are you, are you steering them down a more traditional route how does that relationship work where's the guidance on that well, it's I'm kind of figuring out what works best, I guess, for mm. that. Um, most of the time, people will say, "Well, this picture here is I really like that coat. What's the story yeah. there, or how does that work?" And then on the opposite opposite extreme would be someone saying, "This is what I have in mind, or yeah. can work on these details." But a lot of people, I think, are kind of intimidated by a blank slate approach like that. And they're not necessarily interested in being their own fashion. I shouldn't say fashion, their own stylist or mm-hmm. designer of their own coat. So it, it yeah. would go anywhere from one extreme to the other. But generally, wow, I really like the look of that. Could we do something yeah. like that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, again, from a customer's point of view, it must be lovely, actually, to say there's nothing better, is there? When you're wearing a piece like that, a statement piece and people can tell often that the quality's there and the leather looks amazing and everything else. And for someone mm-hmm. to say, that's a great coat. Where did you get that from? And then they can just <laughs> literally launch into this whole wonderful story of you and you and where you are in the world and, and everything that goes into it. I mean, what kind of man hours would go into, I, I don't know if you've done this exercise, but what kind of time goes 
goes in from taking from when you get that those raw skins to actually you know gifting it to somebody what what, how does that look time wise it's i've definitely thought about it and tried to loosely at least figure it out but it Mm. it's difficult because you get all the skins in the fall so Mm. how do you is it 30 minutes to flesh everyone i don't know is it an hour yeah. Then yeah. they're all salted. Then in the spring, you check them all over. You're taking them out. You decide which ones to tan first. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are hard to like. It's not like you say you want a coat. I take out the salted skins and tan <laughs> just those ones for yeah. Because you know, as I've found recently, there's a big difference between knowing how to tan some skins and as I'm trying to do running a tannery, which. Mm. You know, sound a little more elaborate than me working there but that's basically yeah. what it is yeah yeah um, but it would be it would be a couple weeks or something okay like yeah, yeah wow that's weeks. amazing yeah. And obviously, I mean, we touched on it earlier about your calendar and the fact that, you know, during the, the, the good times of the year, weather wise, you know, that's when majority of the preparation and everything else gets done. And then obviously, as the winter starts coming in, you tend to be sitting down with your needle and working, working the product. Um, what um, you, you, am I right in saying you're completely off grid? I mean, what's it like working in the way that you are? Because you are, you know, you're not a big team. I mean, as far as I know, there is there is just you, if I'm mistaken. Um, how do you manage to kind of juggle everything? You know, you've, you've, you're obviously working on the farm and everything else. How do you manage to kind of allocate your time with, with running a business, which at the end of the day, you know, you're doing such an amazing job in, in such a, a unique way. Obviously, what you want to try to do is to explain expedite that across the world and hopefully the podcast will do something for that but how do you balance that from work to the necessities of business how do you how do you work your head around that well it's a good question and something i probably um i i guess i just i've really focused on the work so far Mm. and this Mm. is the year where i've started to try and get it out there a little bit more and really make sure i have the quality and the attention to detail and the proper tanning to you know actually get it out there Mm. um at times it's it's difficult but uh, there's late nights here and there there's uh, early mornings and there's ultimately it's really loving doing it and so it doesn't doesn't feel like a stretch. I mean, some of the online things and getting the website done, it's kind of against my nature in a, in a way you could probably yeah. get. So those things, um, I guess it's just out of the love of wanting to have this out in the world and not necessarily become big or anything like that, but just actually provide what I think is a pretty, um, a good thing to people who yeah. would want some handmade handmade stuff. And I would yeah. like to get some other people working here with me and train people in and that kind of stuff. So I, okay. I'm not trying to pretend like I'm some kind of hero doing it all on my own. Largely mm. it's just what I've got for now, but yeah. I would like yeah. to, to expand. Yeah. And what about, what about training, things. Daniel? What about kind of educating new people into the trade and again i don't know enough about it but i am i am intrigued to find out you know whether it's native americans whether you know there are there will be cultures won't they're all across the world in all literally in every continent that have people doing a similar version to what you do and with the world becoming so small as it is 
now to some extent are you are you swapping notes are you kind of building is there a community there are there people talking about new ideas how how collective are you or are you literally in this kind of world of your own (laughs) uh i mean i guess it's kind of split between whether you mean in person or online uh in person not a lot of other people around here doing this very few okay yeah uh there's people who sort of dabble people who are into like wilderness skills who want to learn how to tan a hide and maybe mm-hmm. you'll do a couple every year or not ever yeah. again. They've yeah. kind of learned a little bit, which is valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, then over Instagram, I guess there's, there's a lot of people swapping ideas, uh, talking with each other, giving hints and advice and showing what they're up to. And, and that's been helpful. Yeah, but yeah. you know, calling it a community could be a little bit of a stretch. But it's been nice to to chat with those people and be able to ask questions, and they'll ask yeah. me this, that, or the other, and you just kind of go from there. So there is yeah. a growing kind of uh, small scale or micro tannery kind of movement might be putting it strong. But there's a bunch of people out there doing this, yeah. and it's, yeah. the interest is growing. And I do teach workshops and that sort okay. of thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Around the tanning and a little bit around the sewing. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is a big tend uh, kind of trend, should I say, um, with regards to kind of going back to, to authentic skills and and crafting really, you know, whether that's crochet or, or, or tanning or or knitting or sewing, even basics like sewing. Um, do you think that, or, or should I rephrase the question? How do you think you can kind of give something back to future generations? Because you said you've got kids. Are your kids interested in this at all? Or do they just think that dad's some um, guy who goes out is scraping meat off skins? What's, right. what's, their, what's, what's their thoughts on it all? Well, they're, they're three and a half and one and a okay. half. So, uh, <laughs> a little. Well, they're interested for now. But yes. We'll see. Yeah. 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 Out, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's huge merit and worthiness in, in, I would call it, like keeping these things alive. That mm. if the next generation or whoever it is, someone half my age, could have not exactly an easier time learning, but a little bit more of a, a some guidance along the way of learning this kind of thing, it would yeah. really help. Yeah. There was just based partly on geography and partly on other things, for certain types of the tanning, there was nobody that I could go to and ask. Really? Okay. And, you know, you make a lot of errors and a lot of skins go to the compost pile as a result mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. learning that way. And yeah, and I would love to, to give back to, you know, the, the craft and the, and the traditions of, of these types of leather by, breathing some life and contributing to my contributing, sorry, my learning to that, Mm. but also to the way that people think about relating to whether it's the wild or small scale farming or domesticity and, and bringing some, you know, mystery and magic back into how we interact with animals and how their skins are, have been neglected and how, we've divided so far clothing from food when mm. historically we're part and parcel. I mean, obviously Absolutely. wrapped up in the skin. It's yeah. Yeah. Right there yeah. The so yeah. Yeah. It's a huge, I guess you'd say passion and something that's very important to me is 
education, talking about things, how you talk about them, wondering about it all. And mm. kind of, the, the, you know, leather seems to be a great avenue into history and what's become of us humans and our relationship to the world and the wild world. And Yeah, yeah. And what's what would you say is the hardest part of your job, Daniel? I mean, getting up at quarter to six might be considered <laughs> a, tough, a tough part by many. But what what do you think is a real? You think, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? Why am I doing it? Um, and actually, yeah, that I'd be interested to find out what is the tough part. It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, when you have a skin that doesn't tan, right? That can you know you've you know you do feel responsible. Like it's a strange situation currently and at least in this part of Canada where there's an extreme abundance of skins yeah so it's hard to make the argument that anything I'm doing is wasting a skin if it goes badly or goes off or mm-hmm. um you know I guess the I guess the hard part is is figuring out at the place that I am in in getting this work out there in the world is are people willing to to pay for stuff like this or are people yeah and of course, most people aren't. And, you know, some people just can't, a lot of people just couldn't afford it. And that's kind mm-hmm. of sorrowing. But, um, you know, are are people going to vote to keep this kind of thing alive or want to have cheaper stuff, basically? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a really good point. Because again, when you start taking into consideration the man hours that have gone into the products that you're producing, that's one thing. But actually, what I really love is this idea of legacy products you know of you producing something that somebody buys for the right reasons and then passes that on down so the jacket that you spoke about might outlive (laughs) probably you and I Um, and that's really really that must be quite satisfying for you you know but it's how you it's how you get that message over to the to the end consumer is it so they can appreciate it they can understand it and they're buying it for the right reasons um yeah, I can imagine it is very difficult. Um, and 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 what? Where do you think your business is going to go in the future? You mentioned earlier about obviously trying to um, employ more, more people and obviously take it to the next stage with regards to the bespoke side of things. Um, mm-hmm. What what's in the pipeline, Daniel, for the next six months? Or do you not live like that? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't think too far in the future. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily. Uh you know, I don't want to claim it's some sort of virtuous thing, but yeah, it's kind of one foot in front of the other, see where Mm -hmm. things go, see if this is, you know, not only viable financially, but if it's the right direction for my sort of life and my family's life to take Mm -hmm. on. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I mean, in this part of the world, winter is a, is the majority of the year, basically. Sheep hay for seven months of the year. So that's coming kind of soon having all the skins ready for tanning i oh, sorry for sewing for the winter and then um yeah just keep making things and hopefully there's uh, people there who who want me to keep doing it yeah do you know what is lovely daniel as i listen to you you are probably the most relaxed guy i've ever spoken to on this <laughs> podcast ever you know because a lot of the people in the industry there is a lot of pressure you know there is an un- an underlying pressure to I don't know. Where can I put this? Be better, be quicker, be more adventurous, be more creative. More, But you seem to have this level of consistency, which I think is really, really endearing. Um, mm. 
and it's a wonderful attribute. So whatever happens, please don't lose that because ah. it's it's so nice to see that you are absolutely one of the questions I ask all my guests is why do you do what you do? I think you've probably spent the last 35 minutes talking about exactly why you do, and it's apparent why you do what you do. Um mm. and it's it's just so nice to hear. It really, really is so good to hear. And there is no pressure because it doesn't sound as if you have much pressure in your life. You work hard, but we all work hard. Um, and I think we are part of an industry, certainly, you know, my experience and per and a lot of people that I speak to, you know, they are on this treadmill, they are trying to develop and move it forward. And it's so nice to hear someone that says, I just put one foot in front of the other. And if it suits me, suits my art, suits my craft and suits my family, then that's good enough for me. So mm-hmm. that's probably the best answer I've heard, even though you didn't <laughs> really give a definitive answer, but honestly, that's absolutely fine. Well, listen, Daniel, it's been fascinating talking to you. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and um Mm. i'm i'm really going to keep an eye on what you're doing and i would suggest anyone listening to this podcast that they should check out your work check out how you do what you do because it is really really inspiring i love the whole education piece and you know if anyone wants to know how to skin a not necessarily skin an animal but certainly work with the hides then then you're probably the go-to guy but what's the best way for people to get hold of you daniel to make contact or to buy one of these beautiful jackets that you create Sure. Well, the best way would be just over the website, www.theherdsthrone.ca or on Instagram at theherdsthrone. And I'm pretty easy to get a hold of and and happy to answer any questions or, yeah, I've written quite a few things on the website so people can get maybe a better idea of what I'm on to if they want. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Actually, just on your website, one of the things that did strike me was your use of words. It's very, it comes right from the heart, which I think is, is well worth a read if you, uh, if anyone fancies going over and checking out that website. So, all right, well, listen, I'm sure you've got cattle to feed or work to be done or sewing or whatever you, whatever you're going to do for the rest of the day. But honestly, Daniel, it's been an absolute delight and, um, I wish you all the best and, um, yeah, let's, let's keep in touch and I shall speak to you soon. Thank you again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Daniel there from the Herd's Throne talking about some of the techniques that literally date back hundreds, if not thousands of years. Next week, ladies and gents, we're going to be dipping into the future as we talk to Danit Peleg, who's a 3D designer. Danit was voted as one of Europe's top women in tech by Forbes. She was also in the top 100 of the most inspiring and influential women in the world by the BBC. Great conversation this coming up next week. We talked about her research into 3D printing of clothing. We talk about NFTs. We also talk about a few of the other things that are happening in fashion technology in the future. This episode next week is for all the geeks, all the nerds, everybody who's interested in knowing a little bit about the future and what's ahead of us all. So enjoy, have a great week, and I will see you on the next episode. Take care. Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers, and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning, keep listening, and keep creative.